Hello and welcome to the Virgin Gardener podcast, the podcast for everyone who loves gardens and plants and basically all the good things. I'm Letitia McClough and I'm a journalist, blogger and plant enthusiast. So today I'm really excited to be chatting to Cleve West. Cleve, hello. Uh, Hi, Letitia. <laughs> thank you very, very much for being a part of this. Um, can you please just introduce yourself, just in case anyone doesn't know who you are? I'm sure there's probably loads. Um, yeah, my name's Cleve West, and I'm a garden designer based in Hampton Wick, just outside London. And are you? Tell me about your. The, the, take me back to the beginning. Uh, yeah. Your childhood. How did you get into gardening? Was it always a passion for you? Uh, no, not really. I was I was more interested in sport and and girls than and gardening. So um, <laughs> I <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, it's a really long drawn out experience trying to get into gardening. I took the long road basically. It wasn't until I started um, helping an old aunt with gardening in uh, in Chiswick with her a, a sort of quite a large town garden actually um, that I really got interested. I'd, I'd lived in Somerset for. A, five years during my teenage years and I think that sort of rubbed off on me I did really enjoy the landscape there did your aunt uh, teach you stuff she it wasn't actually it wasn't her so much who taught me I sort of looked after the garden for her I, I had another um great aunt who sort of helped me uh sort of got me interested in natural gardening but um the, the actual hands-on thing happened in in this garden in Chiswick so um yeah it's quite a, it's a really slow learning curve I mean I, I just I didn't even know. I didn't know. Still don't know what the plants are. But no, I who does? Who does? No, no. <laughs> but you so, were into athletics, right? For a long time. I was into sport. Yeah, track and field athletics. Long jump was my speciality, and and the sprint. And um, sadly, it came to nothing after ploughing many, many years into it. So uh, was it injury? Yeah, injuries and just not being, not having long enough legs, basically. <laughs> that's very upsetting I, did, I didn't work it out until I was about in my mid-twenties by that time it's too late so oh. anyway so then you fun. you decided to study horticulture did you uh not really I just I uh, through working with my aunt I, I sort of looked after her garden for a while and, and then decided I wanted to do garden maintenance but I really didn't want to go back to college because I'd done far too many years at college and so I just started doing cutting lawns and hedges and just took it from there really and then a friend of mine who was uh, a coach at our athletic club he was a landscape gardener and he helped um, me learn about um, hard landscaping you know building walls and patios mm. so I could sort of diversify a bit and um, he was amazing his, his name's Ted Highlands and you may have seen him in the recent um, uh, Normandy landing celebration because he was actually on the Normandy landings he landed at Sword Beach Wow. And uh, he's still going strong. And they took him out, wined and dined him for about nine days during all that. Oh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he was instrumental in getting me going as a, as a landscape. So, but you, I, I did read on your uh, on your blog that you went to Kew. Is that a study oh, by yeah. John Brooke? Yeah, that's right. After, after a while doing, um, you know, garden maintenance and landscaping, um, I decided I want to be garden designer you know the grass is always greener isn't it on the of other course side. so, so <laughs> um <laughs> and uh so yes I, I saved up some pennies and eventually um 
a short course. It was only a five-week course. I couldn't bear the thought of doing another year at college or anything. No. But, and, and it was all I could afford at the time anyway. But, it is um, very expensive, isn't it? Really? Gosh. Uh, um, so, yes, I did a five-week course at Kew, which was just up the road from here. And, did um, you, yeah. did you, do you find that you, uh, having come from the... Was there a big divide between the people that were coming with no experience and those like you who knew about landscaping and hard landscaping and all that kind of stuff did you finally had a yeah. massive head start yeah I did find not not necessarily in terms of design but certainly in terms of practicalities and the one thing you did notice immediately was people would be designing crazy things that could never be built and, mm, so, and you knew that <laughs> yeah yeah you know it was, I mean I didn't I wasn't I'm not the Mark Gregory of construction don't get me wrong uh, he's amazing but, um, yeah so you know I I, I I did my best but I certainly knew loads more than most people were on that course so uh, it was um, interesting do you think did you make I'm always interested in whether uh, the the learning process you make lots of contacts does that provide a big grounding for your future career or did oh, yeah, you not yeah. make contacts at Q no no I did make contacts there and also through joining Society of Garden Designers and right. you know all those things really help uh, build up a sort of a foundation and you know just to just to answer um, simple questions or complicated questions I mean it's it's, it's quite a complex um, industry where mm. really it takes there's so many disciplines to learn and you don't have time for them all so sometimes you have to sort of um, ask people to know more than you do so can you I, I i hope this isn't too boring for you but can you just take us for anyone because i know they're really interested what is the process for a show garden at chelsea and how does it differ from um a a normal design for for a for, for a client yeah um well you have to bear in mind that show gardens are all about theater and you know the garden only has to survive for a week which is you know, a crime in many ways, yeah, but um, yeah. but it, it is theatre. So um, I I always think there ought to be at least ten. It's like a ten point uh, plan or ten strong features or things that you can talk about in the garden. You know, oh really? Is that or, was that was that taught to you, or did you sort of? No, I that? just sort of. <laughs> I just looked. <laughs> I sort of looked back at the past show, the ones that did well. I looked right. back at the past show gardens, and I figured out that you know we could talk about this, we could talk about that. All oh, that's interesting, and it added up to about ten different interesting points in the garden. And if you have those ten, then I think you're you're sort of going somewhere towards a successful show garden. Can you can you tell us what they are? Oh god, not off the top of, of my head. head, but it's all it's all usual stuff, you know. Like you need to talk about plants, texture, color, and the, whether they're attracting insects. There's water. There's sculpture. There's your know, hard landscaping, I and mean, it's all the stuff that you have to you get ticked for on the on the judging, um, yeah. you know, on your designer's brief, really. But you know, when you, you have to think about when you're doing a show garden, there, there is a strong chance that you will be interviewed about it at some point, right. and they'll want to see things as well. They'll want to be able to, as soon as you talk about something, they'll want to focus in on it. So if you have those ten or more, even if you if you if that clever um, features, then you're, you're you're doing well. And what about sponsorship? Um, what, what's the kind of what's the process for getting that? Do you get approached? Or do you have to um, go out and with your cap in your hand? Yeah, back in the day, the very first show garden I did with um, no money at all, just some 
um, just some savings and uh, some generous friends who lent their time. Wow. And that's um, at Hampton Court, yeah? That was at Hampton Court, which is just literally, I roll out of bed and I'm there. So Brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm that fortunate. So it made sense to do Hampton, uh, to do Hampton Court, and I did that four or five times. And um, Chelsea was a, a different matter. I mean, but yeah, after doing that first show garden, we did get approached by various sponsors to do um, to do uh, the Hampton Court, and then uh, then we got approached by Merrill Lynch at the time to do a garden at Chelsea in two thousand and one. So after you know after the initial pain of having to self finance, it was a bit it was a bit easier. But that's pretty to... stratospheric, isn't it? So you know you, you, it yeah. was very successful, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, I remember. Well, I mean, compared to some some people go straight to Chelsea, which is amazing. Hats off to them. Um, you know, we did. I can't remember how many at Hampton Court, four or five at Hampton Court, and then went to Chelsea, and that did it did feel stratospheric. It was a you know such an honour to to go there. Um, and then thereafter, getting I never sort of treat that lightly. It's always a privilege to be asked to do that sort of thing. Do you um, do you have a way of uh, of interacting with the client? Um, you know, getting them on side, getting them to do what you want them to do, or is it very much you you have to you have to abide by a set of strict uh, requirements? Um, well, I've been fortunate with the sponsors that I have had um, to have had you know, pretty much complete control. And, and that was a bit nervous. It was nerve wracking to begin with. But um, you know, when you look at it from their point of view, most of them don't, really, apart from the ones that have done it several times, most of them don't really know what they're getting into. So they have to trust your experience. And, but it um, is a lot of money, isn't it, that they're spending? It's a huge amount of money. You could buy a house with some of these things, <laughs> you know. So um, it, yeah, they. I, I always love the moment when they say, "What should we call? The, what should we call the garden? Yeah, should we call it the mysterious garden, or the moonlight, <laughs> moonlight?" And you say, "Well, how about we call it the MG garden?" You know? <laughs> and you get lots of brownie points for that. <laughs> I should think that's a very good thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, showtime and press day? Um, how do you cope with that? Because the pressure must be just immense. Yeah, it's um, as I've got older, it's not quite as daunting. But yeah, you do, because of the amount of money and because of the amount of hours people have devoted to help you um, build this garden and get all the limelight, you feel that huge sense of responsibility to them more than yourself. So um, yeah, it never fails to give you the collie wobbles. Can I ask you how on earth you manage to get poppies? blooming just right on the right day how, how, how does that even happen or work where's the science talk to me oh that's well that's just about of some fantastic nurseries I've been very fortunate to have Chris and Toby Marchant from Orchard Dean Nursery as, as my mentors over the years and um, Hortus Loci and people like Marina Christopher and she's amazing you know, Marina Christopher people, incredible yeah, incredible she yeah. wrote um a wonderful book called late summer flowers which i will put in the show notes everyone should have oh it. okay all right but i mean all these and there are many more nurseries as well in a small way smaller way have um helped and you sort of trust their judgment and their their skills and um you have to buy so many more plants than you would actually use as well which is another reason why the costs are astronomical for chelsea because because it's a sort of plan b type thing well yeah you hedge your bet i mean some people grow maybe i can't remember um yeah i mean poppies 
particularly. You, know, you have to grow <laughs> so many in order to get one or two or three. So, um, yes, I've been very fortunate just to have the skill set. It um, does sound like a total team effort. Do you think it then, really is. Do you think then that, in a way, um, show gardens are... They present less of a uh, of a challenge in a way than than designing an ordinary garden, which because you're cramming everything in and it's it's not it's not a real garden, is it? It's you not. Know? It's it's not. It's a flower arrangement with yeah. a bit of sculpture, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't uh, be too flippant about it. A no, lot no, of no, thought, no. a lot of thought and skill goes into it, and the amount of hours, which is which is why it's nice when a garden um, gets. Uh, put into a permanent position afterwards it's such a lovely thing to do because the amount of hours you've sweated over the design and all the detailing I was talking to Steve Swatton who's mm. the contractor I, I like uh, we get on really well and, and we enjoy the whole experience at Chelsea and um, we spend hours detailing uh, hard landscaping elements in order to make them disappear yeah, that's, that's to really, <laughs> I know it's really weird. You know, you think, oh, that's going to stand out. And you say, yeah, but you, it's your work, Steve. You want it to be seen. You say, yeah, but you just want it to be uh, back. Uh, just to make it look like it's always been there. That's difficult. It. That's <laughs> it. Yes, that's, uh, that's really interesting looking at it from that point of view. Um, well, it's really nice to hear that you enjoy doing the whole thing because I, mm. I also think it must be. Uh, a lot of designers feel that Chelsea or doing show gardens is a necessary necessary part of um, of a of to have in your portfolio as a top designer. Do you don't believe think, that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not very good at marketing, so I never capitalise on these sort of things. I don't do any, I don't do any marketing basically. So the Chelseas have, have and the Hampton Courts have helped me get work. I suppose other people. Uh, don't do those. Don't do show gardens, but they're you know they're good at marketing or they're good at um, dealing with people. So they uh, yeah there are I mean there are quite a few garden designers who actually don't do show gardens at all and get work. So I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they're if very you good need, on Instagram. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you need to do Chelsea. I mean, is there a large? I'm going to be really really naff here and talk about money, but is there a, yeah. is there a big delta between? what you can charge for your services depending on whether you have or haven't done a show garden um i don't know about that i know garden designers who haven't done chelsea before who charge more than me right. <laughs> um <laughs> i charge what i what you know i'm i think i'm pretty average compared to some most garden designers but um so, I don't know. Really? I really, so you, I, don't, you didn't you don't hike your prices up with each goal oh, do you get? Yeah, no, I did. I did when I was when I got the double best in show, I thought now's the time to put prices up. <laughs> yeah. And, and by uh, the way, listeners, Cleve is the only person that's ever got best in show twice in a row. <laughs> um, I wasn't fishing for that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I did put my prices up there. I mean they were stupidly low before and then and, and now I think they're about average. So um and it's it's a bit to me. If if I think back to all the years ago when I was a just a jobbing gardener, it still sounds very very expensive. But yeah. um, I am I am sort of average. Can you tell me just go back a little bit and tell me about the first proper job that you did and tell me about the the feelings? It, was it really scary? Because in a way, you yeah. slightly got to fake it to make it, haven't you? The first for for a private client. Yeah. Yeah, it was scary. <laughs> um it's uh yeah it's for a local job in kingston and it was uh it was for a friend but it was for a proper job you know a proper front and back garden mm. and um when all i i 
over ordered on all the materials and I ended up spending any profit I made that just trying to get rid of them afterwards so um it didn't make any money at all. I've actually heard quite a few stories so, like that that yeah. uh, that the the first one is you make a loss because yeah. you're just I'm, learning how to budget <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, you learn, you have to learn so much um if you knew everything that you were going to have to learn when you started you probably wouldn't do it <laughs> take too long yeah, yeah. Are there plant combinations that you use over and over again in your gardens? Are there favourite ones, and what are they? Oh gosh, um, mate, I probably I'm probably guilty of that. Chris and Toby Marchman will probably be able to tell you that because they <laughs> probably steal my order. Not that again. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I can't. I can't really answer well, those sort of questions because they're all they're all they're all sort of different. But um, I do have my favourites, obviously. And my my um, knowledge base isn't probably as good as someone like Roy Lancaster, so I'm always going to be struggling to. to I think he like has him. he has a few years on us though, doesn't he? He does, <laughs> but he's also he, he also immerses himself in plants can totally. Garden designers have to you know, think about plants and bricks and paving yeah. and water and irrigation. He's got he's got more time. <laughs> he's yeah. not thinking I, about I think, our landscaping. Yeah, I think I, I'm sort of slightly drawn to um, gravel gardens. You know the gravel garden at Hampton Court this year? Yeah. Um, you know, based on Beth Chateau's. I mean, yeah. I do love those sort of gardens. And, um, I mean, I started doing those after I, um, after the course with John Brooks. Yeah. He was a big he was a big fan of that. And they're just so magical in the way they can really celebrate plants because of the gaps you can leave between them. When we did a garden at Chelsea for Saga Insurance, yeah, we did a did a gravel garden there, and another one for the Telegraph. Um, That's right, were, which was that, so amazing with all those dry stone walls. Yeah, it was great. And but the thing is, you can really at Chelsea, everyone's sort of stuffing plants in and trying to, you know, so you don't see any soil. Gravel allows you that freedom, so you can let plants breathe. You've got space yeah. in between them, and you can see the form and the texture and the colour. And, and it's so much more potent in terms of you know all the things you can express with plants. It really, it really does come to mind. And also, you know, it's much more. It's it's becoming increasingly important that style of planting um, with climate yeah. change. Yeah, I know. And with all the um, you know self seeders and and you know all the all the insect all the plants that attract insects yeah. as well. So uh, yeah, definitely. Can we just garden. talk about? Um, growing your own food and specifically about veganism I've been very inspired by you because you you made a sort of uh, decision not to separate your very passionate and very active uh, veganism from mm. the rest of your life and I know that your mm. online presence you've got a big following but you don't it's not something that uh, you do every day um, yeah. But even still, within your blog, um, you you definitely made a decision to bring it all together because you're, funnily enough, a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Multifaceted. Well, did, yeah. Well, I did think long and hard about it, and it's um, you know, when I did become vegan, it was it it was sort of fine to begin with, but then I, when I started researching more into it about the animals and the climate and the health. I was so shocked by everything, all the facts I was learning, that I I just couldn't it, I couldn't be true to myself if I didn't talk about it. Mm. You know, it's like um, David Attenborough said pretty much the same thing the other day about. He said, "I'm not an activist. 
Um, but I've learned so much just recently that is you can't not talk about it. Absolutely. Can you just tell me about your path to veganism? Yeah, um, I, I was vegetarian for 30 years with my partner, Christine, and um, her daughter, her eldest daughter, was has been vegan since she was 13. And um, she was always trying to, well, not in a heavy way, trying to get us to go vegan. And um, I, just, I just didn't see the connection. I didn't see there was no cruelty in the dairy industry. No cows were being killed. No chickens mm. were being killed. And um, I just it was ignorant. And I, it was sort of almost like a willful ignorance. I sort of had my head in the sand. I didn't want to know. And it was only when Christine's granddaughter, uh, grandson, at the age of 12, decided to go vegan himself oh and and um, Christine's eldest daughter had raised her twins um, vegan and they were uh, in their 20s now mm-hmm. um, it was only when the 12 year old went vegan on his own it sort of made us all prick our ears up and oh, that, um, that's an incredible commitment to make really yeah age. really and I feel so bad for Christine's eldest daughter because you know she's She's been such a stalwart in terms of sticking up for animals and uh, over the years, and and now we've finally fallen into you know taking the head out of the sand and seeing what's really going on. Mm. Anyway, you know, we're, we're and the whole pretty much the whole of this side of the family are vegan, which is wonderful. So we you know at Christmas there's twelve of us around the table, and it's like no one even talks about veganism, oh, and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's around so your wonderful. not, not roast. <laughs> your yeah, salad. exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. Because you, I think you make an analogy when you speak about eating with non-vegans. Um, mm. I think you said that you that we should actually imagine a scenario where we've asked to sit down calmly next to somebody who is eating a dog. Yeah, that's right. And um, I don't even I don't know anyone who'd be comfortable doing that. No, uh, and it's a very powerful image, really. Um, yeah, and so when you think about um, the dog, and you think about a pig, and the pig is actually more intelligent than the dog, and it's got the same feelings. I mean, all animals got they, they all feel in some sort of way. Mm. Um, some more than others. Some have are, some are more intelligent. Some are not. But why should that actually make any difference at all? We all know what it's like to suffer. Yeah. Um, so why can't we empathise with animals who are, you know, screaming for their lives when they get sent to a gas chamber or have their throats cut? So um, just to be clear, Cleve, you actually you go and bear witness. Is that's what you call it, don't you? To yeah, some of these uh, about two or three months after going vegan, I, with all the research I'd done and all the things I'd seen on YouTube, I had a bit of a breakdown. In a, in a, I suppose it's the only way I can sort of describe it. I just didn't know what to do with myself. I sort of felt like I had to atone in some way for all the times I'd been ignorant to all this. Um, and a lot of people go through the same thing. It's it's almost like a secondary post traumatic uh, post traumatic stress disorder, which um, people sort of suffer on, on seeing these horrific things and uh, I just felt I had to do something so um, at the time there was a new movement in Toronto called the Pig Save where people actually go and bear witness to pigs turning up at the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. and it's just really to look into their eyes and, and sort of tell their story really to bring it to the wider public and it's not a very pleasant thing no one wants to be there really absolutely no one wants to go to these things but you sort of feel a sense of duty and and you know the tide is turning never it will never be as quick enough uh, as quick as we'd want it to be but the tide is turning slowly and you feel like you're doing even though on the days when you're feeling really 
depressed about it and, and they are depressing uh, experiences if you're not too careful I mean we surround ourselves with like-minded people so it is like a you mm. do get you you do get support from each other, but um, and then you and then you have to, <laughs> then you have to sort of stick it on YouTube and you you, you upset all the non-vegans and and so there's a lot of stress that goes with it, but it's worth it. It really is. Have you um, found that it has alienated a lot of your friends? Yeah, I think it has to a degree. I mean, it it did and definitely did to begin with because I was so angry and so emotional about it. I could not. I could not be quiet about it. And mm. I probably did it a little bit too harshly for some people. And I showed a lot of graphic animal footage, you know, animals being slaughtered on my social media posts. I don't do, don't do that so much now. I do occasionally, um, just to wake people up a bit. But um, Well, this is what I'm saying about this decision to, to mush it all in together, that there is gardening. And yes, and then mm. there is this other part of you. And I found yeah. that very interesting. It, you know, people feel the need, especially on social media, to stay within their niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm rubbish at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the world's worst marketing man. So, um, yeah, it goes all over the place. But uh, no, it's, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm happy to be doing, I'm, I'm not happy to be going to the slaughterhouse, but I'm happy to be fighting for their, for their cause. I don't do, to be quite honest, Letitia, I don't do anywhere near as much as some other activists do. I know some amazing people. I've met some absolutely incredible people who are so devoted to helping them, the voiceless and mm. uh, hats off to them. So I'm, I'm, the thing I've been doing lately is writing a book it's almost finished. I can't believe okay, it. Okay, so, what is it? Talk to it's us. Called, it's called The Garden of Vegan. And okay. um, hope, hopefully it'll be out next May. Um, so it's just really, I mean, really it's trying to um, talk to the horticultural world and say, look, we all love plants and the vegan movement is all about plants. And so we're at the moment we're taking a lot from the garden in terms of um well-being and therapy and sanctuary and refuge and all that but we're not giving much back and biodiversity is dying down i mean basically i'm trying to i'm telling the full story but i'm also trying to um, emphasize the effect it's having on the environment because if you're not even if you don't care about animals suffering you know surely you've got to be interested in the environment and how we're we're screwing up this world it is this strange dichotomy isn't it between um you know yeah. gardeners who are supposed to care so much about all yeah. of this sort of thing and yet yeah. look at how much plastic we consume um within yeah. the, uh, the gardening industry um yeah. so w i mean we do use a lot of animal products don't we we use manure we yeah. use blood fish and bone yeah. What yes. can you give us some pointers of you know simple things that we might swap out? Say yeah, yeah. We've stopped using all that um, only uh, probably three years ago. It's when yeah, when it became vegan, I suddenly realised we were using all these things. But mm. um, I went to see Ian Tolhurst, who runs the um, uh, Tolhurst Organic. Yeah, I think that's in a place called Whitchurch, not far from Reading, mm -hmm. and he's got um, a veganic. Uh, system began it means um, not, not using any animal products at all right so they they rely on green manures um homemade compost and uh wood chip ramiel wood chip which is wood chip which is made from uh, thinner branches i can't remember the, the dimension of the branch but okay that's got a higher uh, sort of 
um, uh, a lower carbon content, so right. higher nitrogen. So it's um, uh, a combination of all these things. Uh, I mean, he's been doing it for 30 years, growing without animal inputs. So he knows, he's got the template, basically. Um, but even the organic way of gardening hasn't really taken off around the world you know it's still it's still a small it's still a small market i think there seems so we, to be a lot of um a lot of very large companies um involved with you know who it's in their interest to keep us buying yes um, their oh, chemicals isn't yeah it? i mean it's all links i mean the once you realise everything is so connected with everything else, so you know people who are growing, you know, even things like GM growing Monsanto's seeds and all that, they're sort of tied in with the chemicals that they provide, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, the chemical companies are making a fortune, you know, and all the glyphosate. I mean, there's so much, I can't actually remember it all. It's, it's yeah. just, um, it's like with the the pharmaceuticals involved with the with the meat industry, you know, all the antibiotics are. Eighty uh, percent of antibiotics or something are, are sold to the meat and dairy industry. Is what so. I mean really? I mean, I think this this is common knowledge, isn't it? That um, mm. if you re- reduce or eliminate meat from your diet, you're doing more to uh, contribute, uh, mitigate global warming than any other action. Yes, that's been said by many different studies, and and um, you know, so that's it is so easy. That's the annoying thing. It is so easy as well. It's quite I, simple. I, I appreciate that people think it's difficult, but having I I used to enjoy eating meat when I did eat meat thirty or forty years ago, and and I enjoyed dairy products. And you know, four years ago, it's like I'm exactly four years vegan this week. Really happy birthday! So uh, thank you. <laughs> um, it, and I thought it was going to be, you know, what the thing that I thought I was going to miss was milk in tea. <laughs> it's so pathetic. I do you know and, what it, uh, it, it is pathetic but it is difficult i've is tried difficult. it a number yeah. of times yeah it is difficult <laughs> but it's not but, that difficult is it but when, when you, you no it's it. not and it's certainly a lot easier than having to be exploited and having your children taken away and and then killed you know strung up by your backbones and killed it's certainly easier than all that <laughs> so you know i always think when we do these um um slaughterhouse vigils and and stuff when you think of how awful an experience it can be you always think about the animals and think what they're what they're going through i mean what we have to do is nothing compared to what they have to do so that's why you have to think about it so um i just wanted to ask you whether you were aware of um a book called primary perception by another cleave his name is cleave baxter no. So he basically, I'm not. I, I had to stop reading this book halfway through because I got freaked out. Because he basically discovers through a system of polygraph technology that plants have feelings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's probably something we. I don't want to sound too woo woo here, but certainly when mm. I was little, I felt something like that. I've unlearned mm. it, um, but yeah. um, it. It's. I, I didn't want to read any more because you know what I like to clip my hedges, but yeah. <laughs> it does yeah. speak to the idea that it may only be a matter of time before all living things will have rights. Yeah, and yeah. then what are we going to eat? Yeah. <laughs> Synthetic food. No, no, exactly. No, that is a really interesting thing. I mean, that's that's one of the things you get. You get flippant comments like, "You know, plants have feelings, so I'm going to kill this pig." You know, and. Um, that has been quite interesting because my first reaction to that is uh, don't be ridiculous. But 
plants, are, they have receptors. Mm. Um, we know what, how they react to certain things. So they don't obviously have a central nervous system, so they can't, you know, as far as we know, they can't feel pain. And, and you know, they don't, you know, flee from us when they're... Yeah. But, but they, they but they but they build but some build up thorns and you know, have defense mechanisms. So it's a really interesting thing. I was talking to Daryl um, Moore and Tony Hayward, and we actually we've got in mind to do a, a vegan garden. That would probably be, if I ever do a show garden again, it would probably be with a vegan theme. So and it would be with them. Um, with Daryl particularly and Tony, they they're both interested in this sort of idea of plants with feelings and where it will lead, but. Um, I, I think it's really easy. That's such an easy thing, an easy cop out for people who don't want to give up meat to mm. suggest that plants have feelings because we are obligate herbivores. Or if if, if, if you want to say we're omnivores, then fine. But um, we do. We can't just starve. We need to eat something. Mm. Uh, but we don't need to, we don't need animals. So, um, but I'm interested in that about plants. I'll, that, I'll um, send you the link. Yeah, it's a very interesting book. I should probably finish it. <laughs> this is this is a research um, that was carried out sort of in the seventies, so it's yeah. quite old, but um, it did affect me. I read it years ago, and it really affected yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I shut the well, book with a I mean, with that, a smack. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we should know about all these things because I think if we wouldn't the world be a better place if we all learned about not. Um, about not learning about violence or accepting violence um, mm. in an unconscious way. I mean, I'm working at a school at the moment where if children are taught about gardening from a very early age, and li- literally the minute they walk into that school, they're given oh, What a, a wonderful school. Yeah, really is wonderful. It's been the best project ever. And apart from that, they're taught not to kill anything. Mm. Now, if a child is taught not to kill anything and appreciates life from that early age, Okay, you know, by the time they get to secondary school, you know, they're going to encounter all sorts of different things. And, and But at least they've had that grounding. And they, the chances are, even if 10 of them, <laughs> you know, go on to still maintain that sort of ethic, that sort of um, core morality, that life is precious, then what a better world it would be if all schools did that. Absolutely agree. And yet that's what you're working on at the moment, are you? This yeah. Yeah, it's a school in Bassey and it's, um, you know, we're, we're not quite finished it yet, but it's already we're getting a lot of joy from it. And um, they're, they're, actually the kids are coming, 12 of them are coming to my allotment tomorrow. So um, that I wanted be fun. to I wanted to ask you about your allotment. Are you there? <laughs> are you there every day? And do you, no. are you completely self-sufficient? Tell me how it works. No, no, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm actually... Um, you know, if I had to, as a vegan, because uh, one thing that people don't realise is that organic, you know, people say you have to buy organic to be a vegan because you kill less um, creatures. Um, but organic uh, food actually uses animal manure. So, you know, you're right. really, it's really difficult. Unless you grow your own food, it's really difficult to be 100% vegan. So it's not really about being 100%. It's doing the, the, the most you can do to cause the least amount of destruction. But and so, that and and you are happy to put chemicals in your body in order not to harm insects. Is that what I'm hearing? No, I, no, not really. I think it's a dilemma. You know, I I buy a mixture of both. You know, mm. uh, uh, organic and non-organic. You know, it's just and you can't suddenly. Uh, it's just so difficult it's to be. It's so 100%. complicated, isn't it? Yeah, but people use that. People use that as an excuse. 
to yeah. actually kill other animals when they don't need to. And that's what I find annoying. Um, but um, but we're not self-sufficient. We never will be. I'm time poor as everyone. I'm, I work by myself. I have a part-time assistant. Um, so managing the garden design business is, is enough. Then if having to do um, the allotment on top of that and the animal rights stuff takes up a huge amount of time. So we're we're bordering on getting a letter uh, from the council <laughs> every month, and um, I'm hoping You've that been I'm, naughty letter. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm hoping that the children tomorrow are going to yeah avert me stop me from getting the letter this month. So <laughs> <laughs> take out all that pesky fennel that's so uh, are you growing everything i mean do you have a large area we have actually we've got two large large plots which if we gave them up tomorrow they'd probably be divided into four so we 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 look like we've been greedy but we took them over on the time when no one wanted allotments and the council foisted us upon upon us so yeah you know we we have a big area and it's lovely it's us it really is our sanctuary our garden because our garden at home is quite small and mm. doesn't get much attention so it's a place where we can go to chill out and it really does work in terms of therapy and sort of um getting us back in touch with nature and biodiversity and especially um, living in the city yeah and and the fact that it does go a bit wild is, is brings so much wildlife into the garden so even if we're not growing as much food as we ought to be um we it's just a, such a great place to be yeah. Uh, and so uh, what do you do you grow then if okay. i know you're not you're, i know you're yeah. not i'm, I'm going to push you here <laughs> yeah no at the moment so at the moment we've got um potatoes beans tomatoes um garlic broad beans beetroot um some uh, shallots which went a bit weird um, <laughs> people which will take start... heart that your shallots have gone weird you see yeah i think people gotten... suffer from the misconception that you know you you can either garden or you can't you know? no anyone can garden but um some are better at it than others i think you know if you need if you have time you can do so much more and i just mm. I'm, i just don't have the time so we just do our best and Christ, christine's a great one her cup's always half full mine's always half empty or has been up until recently i'm finally sort of getting towards her page where i can go down there and ignore the bindweed ignore the cooch grass and um, you know we've got we've, we're, we're trialing some um uh, green manures this year and the cooch grass is just impossible to get rid of and I'm, I'm trying to do no dig as well so oh, trying to do so and and so i'm experimenting on this little patch where we've got red clover growing with um cooch grass and i've sort of chopped it down and planted some pumpkins just to see just to see how they get on and will but, the um, do you think the pumpkins will get rid of the cooch, dra- cooch grass i don't think so i don't, but i'm interested there's a there's a there's a japanese uh, farm down in wiltshire called shumei uh-huh. uh, they, or they there's a technique garden called shumei and there's a farm down in wiltshire where they sort of do courses i'm tempted to go on one of their courses because they they've got this sort of idea that plants all interconnect and you actually don't need to pull out as many of them as you as other people think so well, that would be nice i would enjoy that idea yeah yeah <laughs> it's a really i must go yeah it's worth looking into i definitely must make time for it um, i have to say i i rather like the weeds um i'm mm. more of a christine or i'm not a cleave i'm a christine yeah yeah that's right. I, I just think anything that's green and pretty it's okay yeah. i can sort of style it out as intentional yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, exactly. No, that's right. That's the that's the best part about it. <laughs> that's what that will be my letter back to the council. So, yeah, t- um, tell them that. <laughs> and uh, but, but I mean, we're we're seeing so much wildlife. It's just great. We can just sit there and just watch everything. In fact, the other day, I've been lifting up this. Um, I was going to put it on Instagram, but I'm not because <coughs> I don't want other people to to know. Oh, but okay. no, I, I lifted up our um, uh, corrugated sheeting. Yeah. Um, and somewhere, okay. <laughs> and um, found the grass snake. I've been doing this every <gasps> for years, and I finally got my first grass snake. That's such so, a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah, I don't know whether to show the children tomorrow or not. Because, of course, uh, you should. That they'll adore that. Yeah. If yeah. anything's going to get them into yeah. gardening, it's that. <laughs> That's right. No, it's brilliant. So tell me, what are you what are you working on, uh, sort of in, in, with your other hat on at the moment? Okay, um, I've got a, a handful of small jobs nearby, which are quite good. I'm just about to go off to see one in Eelpie Island. I and, love Eelpie um, Island. It's great, isn't it? It's oh. such a lovely community, and uh, got a couple. I've done two two jobs there, and I'm on my third. So um, sort of what, so you are their away. resident garden designer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not as rock and roll as some of the past history of that island but um anyway um but yeah doing that and a couple of other local jobs and then one much larger job in the Cotswolds and another big one up north which um haven't quite started yet so um but once the book is out of the way then I'll be able to concentrate a bit more I've been a bit lack I've been a bit lacking on animal rights stuff because of the book and I've been lacking on, you know, I've purposely sort of taken my foot off the pedal with the garden design just to um, give myself time to get my head around the book. So uh, I'll be glad when that's finished. So when is the book out? We're hoping in May next year. That's so, very exciting. Um, that's one to look forward to. Um, and yeah. I'm going to put, where can people find you online? Online? Um, yeah. Well, clevewest.com, my, my website. I don't update my blog on there as often as I should. Who but, does? Um, I know. Yeah. Are I we do. machines? No, no, exactly. No. It's funny, isn't it, that in this world we're in, we're sort of sort of wedded to the machine, but just love it when we're not. It's just such a weird I know. There's this wonderful thing called beta state, which a very good friend of mine told me about. And it's what it's the staring out of the window time. Yeah. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. I think she may have totally been lying just to make me feel better. (laughs) It's clinically proven that you need a certain amount of being in beta state every day. Oh, that's good. Well, I'd love to do that, except that I'm in a sort of a semi-basement. So I look out, I can see a little sort of brick wall and people's sort of legs go by. You know, no, that's so, no good. You need to be on your allotment really. for that. So, <laughs> clevewest.com, and you're on Instagram, aren't you? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, I'm on it. But um, in order to get the word about about the animals. So, yes. um, it's, so I wouldn't be on there otherwise. <laughs> no, I can see. <laughs> it takes up too much time. <laughs> it's very time-consuming. That is the yeah. truth. I'm going to put all all those bits of information on uh, in the show notes. And, Cleve, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy day. Well, thank you for inviting <laughs> me. It's very nice. And thank you for letting me talk about this stuff. Um, I'm doing a talk at Charleston tomorrow. And I'm, Are you? And I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I, I mean, you probably know, I hate doing talks. I'm I so know nervous. that you don't like doing talks. Oh, God, it's so nerve-wracking. Anyway, um, they said, well, how about we make it a conversation? And they 
And I said, yeah, okay. Who so much suggest? better. Yeah, so um, like this, which is great. Mm. And um, they said, well, how about Caroline Lucas? And I went, you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, they said, which day are you free? I said, I'm free any day oh, Caroline Lucas is free. <laughs> so I can't, I'm sort of slightly shitting myself, but I'm really excited as well. So, uh, um, is, and, is and, we're, and we're going to be at, well, I don't know. And we're also going to be allowed to talk about, um, you know, the vegan stuff as well. So that's why I'm saying thank you for letting me talk about it because um, the more we talk about it, the quicker we can get to a more compassionate world. Well, like I said, I think it's, uh, I don't, I think it's probably disingenuous to, to talk to you or with you without talking about it because it's, it's an incredibly important part of your life. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I'm not going thank to ignore you. it. <laughs> That's great. Like most people do. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think what I would say is that if anyone's interested in veganism, Cleve is incredibly approachable. He's not mm. like a scary top garden designer. Okay. He, you, yeah. can, you, can, you can DM him or just <laughs> leave yeah. him a comment and ask, yeah. ask stuff. Yeah, He's just nice. email me or whatever. <laughs> I get messages every so often, just when you're despairing. Every so often. I had one day from yesterday. And it really boils you up. I've got a message saying, I've been reading your stuff. At first, I didn't realise, you know, uh, how awful it was. Now I do. And yeah. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm almost there. And, you know, it's great. Do so if anyone think, wants just, to get in touch, it's fine. Just as a, a final thought, um, you know, is it is it okay not to be quite there yet? I mean, is that, that thing of, of we need lots of people doing it imperfectly? Um, yeah, no, of course, people have got to find their own way. But I would, you know, I would say... Please watch, you know, people don't like watching the, the awful videos. Please watch films like Earthlings or Land of Hope and Glory mm-hmm. or Domin- Dominion is another one, Cowspiracy, um, What the Health. All those films, they're just so important to see. Um, are they very some upsetting? Of, I've um, watched some the film, of those yeah, and some Earthlings, of them are upsetting. Yeah, Earthlings, Dominion, Land of Hope and Glory. And Land of Hope and Glory is um, a UK-based recent film about farms and animals um that is they're, they're all very graphic um but i feel you need to see the graphic to really understand where i'm coming from um and i know if you do watch it i would always say watch it with a friend because um when you sit when you watch it on your own and you start talking about it people don't believe you uh, yeah they actually don't believe you and so you need other people to back you up um, and it's quite distressing. But there are you know, things like Cowspiracy and What the Health. Cowspiracy is about the environment. Uh, what the Health is uh, about health, obviously, personal health. And you wouldn't believe how ill people get from eating all this stuff. Yeah, I did actually want <clears throat> to ask you very quickly before you go. Um, <clears throat> you have said that um, you had some arthritis before you went vegan, <clears throat> which completely cleared up. Is that true? Yeah. It's amazingly true. Well, not completely cleared up, but I couldn't I couldn't put certain types of shoes on because I had arthritis in my big toe, and that's gone. Well, it hasn't gone completely. It's gone mm-hmm. to a point where I can put shoes on. I actually don't notice it at all anymore. Um, annoyingly, just as I thought I was just going to start, I put this in the book, I was just about to start running again, which was amazing after 20 years of not mm-hmm. running. Um, I've suddenly picked up a knee industry, so that's dashed my plans, and I can't. I can't even lie about it, you know. Like, I've got to go <laughs> <laughs> just to boost the vegan hype, you know. So, um, but you know, definitely, I just you know, feel better in so many different ways. It's um, it's a revelation. I'd never expected to actually feel uh, um, you know, health improvements through through being vegan. I think that's probably one of the the 
easiest ways um, to get people on board. Yeah, possibly. yeah, certainly, because it's a uh, you know, it's very it becomes very personal. Then I know so many people who started off. I mean, even I did it to begin with when I was going vegan. I wasn't fully on board with the animals. I, I did it because um, really? it meant me healthier. Yeah, yeah. We also you have to realise a human being is selfish, and um, it's a selfish animal. And this is our undoing. And the quicker we can wake up to that and make amends, um, it's really difficult living in the world without being selfish. You know, so it's a survival mechanism. It is indeed right from birth. I know. I've yeah. got babies. Yeah. That's so yeah. selfish, Keith. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Thank you so, so so much for this wonderful chat. And I will. I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to get the links for all those different things that you've mentioned, so that people can just click on them and yes, um, right. go through. Thank you, my darlings, for taking the time to listen to the Virgin Gardener podcast. Uh, if you liked it, then maybe subscribe and leave a five star review. If you didn't like it maybe you'll like another episode. Uh, if you don't like it at all, don't do anything. Okay? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you can find me on my blog, letitiamcleaf.com or via my Instagram or Twitter at Letitia Until then, I'm sending you all the good things. <laughs>